Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Come on, Tom, you got this. You got this, Tommy. Come on, make make Daddy proud. I never wanted any of this. I never wanted to be in the games. I just wanted to save my sister and keep Peter alive. Miss Everdeen, it's the things we love most that destroy us. I want everyone who's watching to lay down their weapons now. You're alive. Peter is the capital's weapon. The same way you're ours. 
you will rescue PETA at the earliest opportunity, or you will find another Mockingjay. Here we are. Uh, whose idea was it uh, that we, on the film board, lock into doing the whole series of things? I, whose idea was that? I nominate Andrew Nelson. I don't think it was me, was it? I don't, I don't, I, know. I don't honestly remember. It may have been me, and if that's the case, I'm sorry. It was, <laughs> I think it started with The Hobbit. I think it started way back Ugh. in the first part of The Hobbit. <laughs> That's where the Tom rage began. Yeah. Yes. I assumed it was Peter Jackson's choice. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've done it. We uh, The uh, Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 1 uh, has, uh, has it is opened, and we've seen it. <laughs> I, uh, I am thrilled, uh, though, in spite of the fact that we're still talking about Katniss Everdeen, uh, I am thrilled to be joined by... The Gang of Thugs. Uh, let's see, uh, Tom. Uh, uh, Tommy Handsome. How are you doing, Tommy? Thank you for joining us. Good. Hello, friends. Thank you for having me. And Steve Sarmento, once a future king. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. Thank you. It's good. It's good to hear your voice. It's a little stuffy today, but uh, can't even tell. Cold. Just oh, can't good. even tell. Good. Can't even tell. Andy. Andy Nelson. ACN. Hello. <laughs> I'm holding up my three fingers. Did you kiss them? You. Did you Thank kiss you. them first, though? Because apparently now you have to kiss them. Oh, is that a new thing? Yeah, I, wasn't, a new I thing. didn't notice that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's. Uh, this film uh, directed by Francis Lawrence, written by Peter Craig, Danny Strong, uh, and uh, of course, uh, off the adaptation by Suzanne Collins herself, once again, starring Jennifer Lawrence, Josh Hutcherson, Liam Hensworth, and lots of other. American Eagle Outfitters <laughs> cast. Yep, straight uh, out of Cloverfield. How do we <laughs> straight out of Cloverfield? <laughs> uh, let's uh, let's go around the horn for those initial reactions. This time we're going to start with Andy. Oh, wow! I know. All right, I know. Uh, you know, I I found it incredibly tedious and uh, boring <laughs> and a, a complete snoozer. I was so disinterested in everything that was going on, and it was really hard for me to make it through this movie. It, it, it screamed the whole time to me, this is a money grab split into two movies. They could easily have squeezed, cut half of this out and made Mockingjay into just one film. I mean, this is me not having read any of these books, but I could just tell there's no reason to have split this because it, there's not enough here to make a full film. Just make Mockingjay one movie. You could have done it. And you should have done it. 
Mm. I, th- I thought we weren't supposed to hold back in our opinions. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> All this equivocating is driving me crazy. <laughs> uh, let's, uh, Tom, you, you have the floor. How, why don't you go ahead and let loose uh, with your own uh, uh, personal uh, storm, okay. storm, stormy review? Stormy review? Um, I, uh, it first could of be all, a storm of love, too. It could be a storm of love. could be. No yeah. one, we'll we'll, we'll never not know. know. We'll not know. We're about to know. Um First of all, I think that the subtitle for this movie should be Jennifer Lawrence gets teary-eyed while looking at rubble. Uh, but that being said, while for a movie where almost nothing seems to actually happen and it's sort of like a movie just treading water, I thought that the performances were so fantastic personally that it kept me way more engaged than it probably should have. I actually had a surprisingly good time. Mm. Right? Oh, I Bring like it. where this is going. Uh-huh. Steve Sarmento. I am going to side with Tommy. Hooray! Because I I have read the books. It has been a while, so I I just remember main points. But uh, I think that there was a lot going on in terms of, I think, the performances and character in this. And it was a nice reprieve from just action, 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 action being thrown at us. And I can, knowing the story... I, I can understand the split to have it, it to me. It's very similar to uh, the the final Harry Potter, how they split it. You've got some, you know, slower character investigation pieces, and then you've got, a, you know, action packed second half in the second film. It's a lot of them to really delve into that and letting that not feel rushed. And I, I went into this wondering if that was going to work with this. And I was pleasantly surprised with how they were able to sort of structure this film where, you know, really there is not a lot of action that occurs. There's no big set pieces, really. There's a few small sequences, but it was really about exploring the character of Katniss and her role in this much larger arc that we're seeing over over several stories. So I, 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 I'm not going to say it's, you know, one of my favorites or a great film, but I, I did really enjoy it. Mm. Fighters, take your corners. Uh, I, you know, I feel like I split the difference a little bit. I, you know, I'm, I, I am, I'm with you guys. I think the performances in general, I, I enjoy the characters in this film. And I think that's, you know, I can't help but watch Hunger Games, any of the Hunger Games, uh, uh, movies without thinking about, you know, all the other YA films that have come along since that involve, um, older teens with bows and arrows and guns and things. Uh, and so, you know, especially since it opens with the Insurgent trailer, um, you know, before this movie, and you just can't help but compare it. And I think, you know, Hunger Games as a franchise far exceeds uh, the casting of any of the other films that have come since. So I, I do enjoy watching these characters. I think in this film, uh, you know, to Andy's point, I agree. This this has there's just nothing going on here. Uh, I have also read the book, and uh, I really, uh, it's there is just a mountain of tedium that they put in this movie that I couldn't help but channel that cynical money grab uh, vibe too. It just felt uh, like they were doing it because it has become a trend to do it. Uh, and with no good reason to do it at all. I really, I, I just couldn't sit still in this film. Um, they, we, we needed to move on. Um, 
and and so it was frustrating. It was really frustrating because it, it you know I, I wanted these actors to be channeled. They all seemed to operate at their emotional extreme, and most of them that extreme was very low and subdued, uh, channeling Julianne Moore, except for Katniss, who was always crying. Um, so you know, it is what it is. That's kind of how I walked. What was out it? Of. Was it um, the Harry Potter Seven? Was that the first split film? Yes, I believe yeah. so. Yeah. I think that was the first first that's the one that sort of set that as a uh, new trend. A, did yeah, did that work for you guys? For did that work for you guys? I I I I wasn't sure it was necessary either but um you know again that's a that's a seven book series and those books are tomes. I mean they're yeah. pretty thick. And so I think when you're getting seven stories in I didn't have as much a problem with the extra time because it was a world that we were able to spend much more time in. Likewise with Hobbit um, which I know a lot of people have issues with, uh, even some here in our group. Um, Steve. That's one, that, that's one where, I mean, J.R.R. Tolkien has, you know, countless uh, histories and, and just writings that he's done about all these histories and everything. And so uh, Jackson and crew were able to pull a lot of extra information to help kind of develop the story. And so I don't really have a problem with that one so much. But then you start getting into this Hunger Games series, the Insurgent series, these stories where it's like three little books. There's, there's not as much meat to them. And there's not as much world building that the author has done outside of the books. And they're, they're, they're now trying to expand it. And I just don't feel like there's anything there to expand it with. And I have a feeling uh, that the Insurgent series is going to run into the same issue uh, come the last two films uh, when it's the two-parter of that third story where it's just going to be unnecessary. Yeah, I, I feel I feel that way too. And I just heard that the uh, the third 21 Jump Street movie is going to be split. It's 23 Jump Street. It's going to be split to 23 and a half. <laughs> Jump Street. It's a money grab. No, that's, that's really funny. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm making that up. I'm just glad you guys laughed. I think it's brilliant. <laughs> One thing that like, did like 33 and a third. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's going to end on a hell of a cliffhanger. <laughs> it's a cliffhanger. Just somebody talking in mid sentence, like a, a, a B character just in the middle of a grocery list. Yeah. You want me to, I'm really sorry. You want me to get eggs and the, and that's it. That's the credits roll. Someone walks up with a clipboard. Uh, you're really going to want to take a look. Like that's it. Just, they don't even finish. Take a look at this. <laughs> well, because we're speaking of the books, uh, one of the things that maybe helped, I don't know, color my opinion is that I was uh, a pretty good fan of the first two Hunger Games book pers- books. Personally, I thought the third one was pretty much a disaster. Yeah. So the fact that the film didn't feel like that, the film seemed more while it was, as I said before, treading water, it felt confident and the writing felt more well confident to me and i think that that maybe helped because i was dreading this film uh because the book was so bad and then the fact that the movie because of the performances but also part of the writing maybe that helped a lot well and that's a that's a really good point tom i mean sophie and i walked out of this morning sophie is you know 12 and both of us walked out having read the books saying that this is the first in the series where the movie was actually better than the book right yeah which the book was a mess. No the book was option. a it was a hot mess of just like jamming in these sort of militaristic details from a, an author that clearly has no grasp of the militaristic details she's writing about. It was just a mess. I felt that well, she was really good. That, she was sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say the other thing that's interesting is in the books, 
you know, Katniss is really sort of this clueless teenager. I mean, she's an older teen, but, you know, she really doesn't have a clue as to what's going on a lot of the time. And I think a lot of the first part of the book is she's still, like, stunned and dazed and and traumatized by what has happened, you know, in, you know, the, the... you know, the arena and being rescued and then what has happened at district 12. And a lot of that, because the story is told from her point of view, there's a lot of uh, disconnects and you you don't really see all the pieces coming together. And what the film is able to do is we're able to see some of those scenes where Katniss isn't present. Some of the behind the scenes pieces, the the manipulations or Mm. the, just the structuring of, you know, conversations that are around that are giving us the audience information that in the books Katniss doesn't have that helps round out that story. And I think that really, to me, completed sort of what thematically is going on in the first half of the book. And it came across, I thought, you know, pretty well in in the film as far as Katniss's role and her understa- starting to understand that she's this pawn that's being, you know, used by the capital and also by the rebels. And we have this slow sort of growth of, of her and her perception of the world. Because in the first, first book, the first movie, it's, I want to save my sister. I go into the arena. I survive. You know, mission accomplished. Second film, okay, you know, she started sort of the seeds of this rebellion. And the president is not happy. And he's going to, he manipulates things to get her back in there to see if he can get rid of her. And now, you know, at the end of that second film, she realizes, okay, all these people pulled together, the district sort of aligned with each other to, to use her. They need her to start this rebellion. So the, the scope of her world, her, her perception of the world sort of grew a little bit. And even in this third film, the first part of the Mockingjay book, her, you know, sort of understanding of that happens. And there was a scene, and I don't recall if it's in the book, but they're they're in the bunker and she's playing with the cat with the flashlight. And she realizes she's toying with the cat. And that's what President Snow is doing to her, taunting her, teasing her, trying to get her to do things. And she's falling for it. And to me, that that sort of self-realization that occurred to her of who's using her and why was sort of one of the key moments in the film of, of her sort of recognition of what's going on, that it's not just about her and Pita, you know, it's, it's a much larger piece. And that to me was sort of what redeemed this film as far as the characters, that there was some self-realization for this character that, that isn't really present uh, in, in the book to, to my, my recollection. You know, I, I buy well, that. So- I, I mean, I buy that to, to that. And, and I think you're, I, I think you're right. And I think there were, there are some elements in this, uh, you know, in the film that, you know, that really showcase kind of the, that the, the fact that this isn't really an action movie, right? In this, at this point in the film, this is not, you know, maybe not meant to be an, it's supposed to be a, a movie about public relations. You know, I mean, that's really w- what, what the focus is. And, and, you know, does it need to be uh, a feature length, uh, you know, contribution to the franchise to to say yes this is a pr war uh, i am not convinced but i thought for me um the sequence that really uh really shone a light on what they had to work with in the source material was when they were all sitting around trying to figure out what these um you know these these promotional films are going to look like and they propose the propose right they they keep trying to to put Katniss in this 3D world and, do, and shoot a video of her do, you know saying something to rally the troops and and uh, Woody Harrelson's Hamish comes in and says <laughs> One of maybe one of the highlights of his career. I hope that wasn't important as he erases this digital uh, (laughs) digital whiteboard. And he asks the question, 
when have we uh, been most attracted or had had a greatest affinity toward Katniss? Right. When when have we loved her the most? When have we felt most emotionally moved by her? And they start listing off these events uh, that were from the first two movies. And it made me think, I'm sure this wasn't their intention, but it made me think really that Woody was talking to us, the royal we, the audience, <laughs> as he realized we don't have a stinking movie here. <laughs> we're, we we had our emotional connection in movies one and two, and now we're right. out. I expected him. Have we want to, you to think about those. Yes, I, I half expected him to just drop his digital whiteboard pen and walk out of this off the set. Like, so. <laughs> let's go replay those moments. <laughs> Uh, so uh, now uh, let's uh, let's talk just a little bit about some of the performances. Uh, obviously, Jennifer Lawrence. We already have that she is she has cried. Otherwise, do you think uh, she lived up to her uh, her prior role as Katniss in these, the prior two films? Do we like her? Yes, she's she's fine. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, she works. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> words every actress loves to hear. <laughs> And cut. Adequate. <laughs> Moving on. Um, yeah, I, th- I, I think I think she's great. I think she's very relatable. I think she can look like a movie star, can also just seem like someone next door. And I like her acting. It's not showy. I don't see any ticks. Uh, I don't see any kind of gimmicks or anything like that. She seems to really be reacting a lot of the time to what's really going on. And I forget sometimes that I'm watching an actor. What more can I ask wow. for that? Yeah. Yeah, Steve. No, I you know I think that uh, I mean t- to me really you know the the f- I always have that bar of that final shot in Catching Fire where so many emotions just play across her face and they right. to me they they tried to go back to that at the end of this one and having a sort of a similar moment but it just didn't have that emotional resonance and I think you know. Yeah, the performance is, is solid through this film, and I think that's really what carries carries the film because there it, it it's depending on the interplay of these characters, and I think she she carries the film to to do that. I mean, it, she's got a lot of of heavy lifting to do in this film. Yeah, there's a lot of cry and there's a lot, but I think as I said, the character of Katniss, there's a lot of growth and and self realization. I think that comes across in the film in, in Jennifer's performance. I yeah I agree. I mean she's she for me is one of the one of the highlights in terms of the performance and but I couldn't help but think about uh, that that she is one of those actresses that's stuck in the the franchise Catch Twenty Two right that it, you know the first Hunger Games came out in two thousand twelve and since then she's done you know so many other non I'm a teen warrior princess mm-hmm. uh, films that have required so much more of her you know just take Silver right. Linings Playbook and American Hustle for two uh, and you yeah. realize just how far this woman has come as an actress. Uh, and so watching her come back into Mockingjay, I couldn't help but think about that, that, you know, she is, um, you know, she, she has made herself in, in so many ways overcast for this part. And so it was a little bit hard to watch her. Well, Well, that's something, could you feel that she's slumming it? I mean, Julianne Moore and Philip Seymour Hoffman and Jennifer Lawrence, I mean, those are heavyweights. They are. Yeah. There's, there's not, there's not a lot for them. I mean, they, they do a, you know. Do a you know a very good job, but I think that you know the writing, the script. There's there's not a lot 
for these characters. It's not really stretching these actors. That we, was it. We've yes. seen the range. And I think Got it. that's, you know, this story doesn't call for that necessarily, but I think definitely there's, there's some weight that they bring to, to their performances that, that helps that. Uh, but you no, know, I, I agree. There was, there was a scene early on where, uh, when, when Katniss first comes in and, and, um, Julianne Moore is, you know, whatever captain or commander coin is talking to her about what's going to, and you still Philip Seymour Hoffman's in the background. And he's just sort of like flipping through his little like book. And I'm, I'm drawn to him. I'm like, you know, as an actor, what is, it's like, here, sit in the background and flip through this book. And I'm like, <laughs> really, that's what you're asking this guy to do. You know, you've got him on set and you're just, okay, flip through this book and look interested in these pages. And I thought, what a waste of talent. And I think there's, there is that to it, but given the roles they have, they, they are able to elevate a, above the script what it's calling for there so they're able to bring some things to it that i think with other actors cast in there that that i think it could have felt more stale or just so so that would have left us feeling maybe uh maybe that's the way you guys feel about it. just like yeah i didn't really get a lot out of this there was they brought something to it there was some emotional resonance to these these actors that i think that that came through but i agree it didn't really stretch them to what we know they're capable of yeah, I think it. You know, for for my view, it, it does come back to the to the source material, and it, it's it it is, it's just you know weak source material, and they do the best they can. Well, yeah. and even even to the point where, mm. I mean, to to have Katniss have her moment, and I, I I'm pro- I think I'm the only one here who hasn't read the books, um, to have her kind of big moment as the as our protagonist of the story where she actually steps up and and has her kind of climactic battle with with uh, the bad guy with snow um she's not on this secret mission you know she's just watching it on video so they have this video interchange so she has to step up and actually do that video conversation with president snow which i mean to me it it, i don't know it just it it, you know it's, it's great that she got motivated to kind of step up and have that conversation with him but it also just i mean it didn't seem that exciting to me because she's our protagonist and she's not really that involved in this you know this escape that they're planning she's not on the front line is it, it right. that there's only so much drama you can build up over skype is that what you're saying <laughs> <laughs> we we try every week <laughs> pete hey. it's tommy pete can you hear me <laughs> pete president pete uh now with respect to uh I, uh the fantastic uh, philip seymour hoffman oh did that you was... not say that like the whole time every yeah. time he was on he screen on, it was like oh, oh. Whenever he was, on, even if he was in the background, I was I would just watch him because I feel yeah. like he was owed it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why you like the film so much is that you didn't you just didn't, weren't paying attention to anything else. No, I was just screaming Phil. <laughs> no, and then when I see him and Julianne Moore together, I'd go, "Oh, Magnolia." Yeah, right. Oh, oh. oh. yeah, Boogie Nights. Boogie Nights. Oh, yeah. Oh. yeah. Yeah, he was uh, he was great, and he was uh, you know just generally as the the soul of the public relations war that is Mockingjay Part One. Um, you know, he I, I felt like he did he did his part. I loved his little notebook that he was constantly writing in. To me, I mean, you, you who, whoever already mentioned that he was always writing. I I yes. I was fixated by his always writing. I I was wondering how does he does he sketch note like what is he what is he doing uh, in that little. Little journal. My, my guess is that no one asked him to do that. Paul Thomas Anderson has been on the record jokingly, but truthfully saying that uh, when he was alive, he really loved his business. 
mm. like doing doing actors business like <laughs> the, the scene there's actually in uh the uh a documentary made about magnolia he does an impression of uh philip seymour hoffman saying okay the scene is walk from here to the bed and then it takes Paul Thomas Anderson doing the impression five minutes to walk to the bed because he's picking everything up and like knocking things over and like going through books and stuff. It's hysterical. So potentially he was just like, this scene is boring. I have nothing to do. So I'm going to give myself business. I'm going to believe that. Yeah, yeah, me go with too. That. Oh, I love his business. Mm-hmm. That's funny. He smiled a lot. That was the one thing I noticed is he always seemed yeah. very proud of himself but because he brought Katniss into this whole thing. So he always <laughs> kind of had that little smile every time I saw him. So like smiley yeah. Phil. He was. He was very smiley. I like that he was proud about that. And and that I mean you could tell he just sort of crowed about it every chance he got. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm telling you, she's the one. Make her hurt more. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and you know, going back to that whole the the the, the, prop, the little propaganda films. I mean, to me, that was a really interesting moment of sort of commentary on sort of the the role of entertainment and how it can be used to manipulate people. And you know, that you can you can put people in front of a green screen and give them a a, a pole and say it's going to be a flag. And if it if it's not from the heart, if it's not true, and if it's not honest, people aren't going to buy it. And I thought that was really interesting in a film that, again, I don't know how much of this is practical effects and how much of it is them standing in front of green screens, but sort of that, you know, our, do what do we buy into? Sort of this, this underlying message. There was, and I think that's sort of the stretch in Mockingjay of Suzanne Collins sort of stepping out of her, her depth and trying to say something about what is this, you know, balance between, you know, community working together versus government. And information and misinformation. And it's sort of some really heavy, you know, complex topics to sort of delve into. And this, you know, story may not have been the best and most appropriate place to do it. But I, I, I think the film tried to, to get that across. And I think that's probably why the story spends so much time is there is something to be said about how governments manipulate people, how rebels try to use information to you know, clear away disinformation. Uh, and I think there's that piece to it that I found interesting, an interesting exploration with these characters that I was willing to go along with. Uh, and that, that's, to me, my, my takeaway from this film, really, is it's, it's different from being in the arena because there's something it's trying to tell us. There's something a little bit more complex to the Right, story. it reminded me of uh, Wag the Dog, to a certain yes. extent. Oh, yeah. Uh, and that is something to whether or not it... One, its aim, like whether or not it, it really got across what it wanted to do, the fact that a YA movie is trying to s- sort of talk about something like that, I think is admirable. Oh, I, I agree. Hopefully kids are starting to think about uh, advertising and messages. I know um, one of the things that was a topic in our, our family this week was that Barbie book. The Barbie is computer programmer book. <laughs> I can was a topic in, our family in terms of what yeah, Barbie the engineer that needs you know Stephen Bob to fix her code for her. My other you know, laptop's one of the a boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, it's one of those things that it's you know hopefully it's getting kids to think about you know the messages that are out there and how they try to manipulate us. And to me, that's again you know coming back to Katniss and her self awareness of that. If hopefully. You know, you know, adolescents are looking at, you know, advertising all these things and starting to think, well, you know, how is this trying to manipulate me? You know, because Katniss is to me that's, you know, the second half of this film where Katniss is trying to, you know, sort of use the rebels to get what she wants. 
She's like, I, she wants PETA back. She's going to use her leverage as the Mockingjay to try to get what she wants, she, to get PETA back safe. She feels responsible for, for, for him. So she's trying to use that. And how Snow turns that around of like, okay, you want him back. You know, the things that you love are the things that can hurt us the most. And how PETA then becomes twisted in that instrument of harm. Uh, you know, there's, there's something, you know, for, for kids to think about in terms of what, when you get what you want, information, those things. You know, I, I don't disagree with any of that. I, I, and I, I really believe, and I, you know, seeing this with Sophie was, was terrific because, you know, it, it, it just is another reminder as a dad of a daughter that, that these are real issues and that ultimately, you know, Katniss is a, is a nice, strong role model. You know, I, I, I feel pretty good about that. Um, you know, my problem is when that's translated into a movie, uh, that, you know, when all of those messages really could have been told in, um, you know, in, in a way that was frankly more mercenary in the writing process. Like, I, yeah. this just feels like sloppiness and, yeah. uh, you know, it, and shameless, really shameless that, uh, that they couldn't tell that same story with that same intention and these same characters uh, in a way that allows us to have the whole story. Uh, that was the biggest frustration. And for me and for my daughter, that you know, she walks out saying, this is really stupid. Why did they have to, to split this movie up? This is really stupid. Because it just feels stupid. like there's too much padding. Yes, way yeah. too much padding. I can't, I mean, I just, I've been, that word mercenary has just been, been you know, tinkering around in my head because it you really I, you just have to be in in writing any long format project but this felt almost like the other way that the these these you know writers in in particular you know peter craig and danny strong um you know are are capable talents in hollywood and that uh, i imagine at least i have this this wonderful kind of fantasy in the back of my mind where they had a nice tight script for mockingjay and you know hopefully they were paid a lot of money to come add a whole lot more stuff and make two movies, uh, even though they uh, they were in fact selling out to do so. It, it felt completely like a just a that I mean that's exactly the problem I had is everything about it felt like a sellout and just like watching some of these performers like Natalie Dormer who played Cressida. Mm-hmm. I mean she she's great on Game of Thrones, but here I'm like, what is the point of her character? She comes she's the videographer. It's like that was the least interesting character to like. Yeah, let sign me up for that role. I mean, I'm hoping that she has something you, you, more to do in the second half, because it's like, why is she here? You thought she was more interesting than her team that had no tongues? Oh, yeah. You know, they're all... <laughs> the, the whole team was like... Uh, that whole that whole element just... Uh, you know, it just was an extra element of, of yes. tedium. And I'm just like, there's no point to these characters being here or developing them or introducing them. I mean, it, it just seems very strange to me that they made this real point of bringing this team out there and then it's just like well they do nothing and because there are names time, on the page there are well, names on the page it, of the book and even when it comes time to fight mm. when it's like we're going to take down the ships that are destroying this town or destroying this district whatever it is um they it's it's just you know katniss and and gale who run off to take down the ships like none of these people what about, do anything what about the and soldiers that like, were with her like there were yeah, soldiers I, there Right. And and these people aren't even risking their lives to like oh we got to get up there and film them doing all of this stuff like they ah oh, just like what was the point of yeah. any of that I I really had a problem with that I thought it was um, that that scene earlier that scene when they're doing the first propo I really like saying that word apparently <laughs> um, when they have the camera helmets 
when yes. tongueless uh-huh. Magoo has the camera helmets, I giggled in the theater because I thought they looked so weird. And it's as if the film heard me giggling because all the rest of the propos, there were no more <laughs> were camera no helmets. helmets. <laughs> there were just weird handheld boxes that didn't seem to be filming anything. For me, the idea of the padding and stuff, um, I do agree that it was padded. Um, uh, and it really was still just the performances that kept me going. But to go back to district... I'm sorry, which district is uh, Katniss from? She's 12. District 12. The fact that we go back to that twice. Yes. Is that for me was unforgivable. Yes. That yep. for me was... And, and there weren't... I didn't... I wasn't as uh, upset as you guys were for a lot of the scenes. I felt like they had at least emotional reasons to exist. But to go back and do another rubble scene at the exact same place with the exact same slow pullback, while this time it's Gail talking about everyone running away. Yeah, It was like, you do that if you're an indie because you can only afford one set. I mean, that's <laughs> insane. That was unforgivable for me. I completely agree as far as that for padding. Yeah, and another scene. It's too oh, bad because I I also think you know I I think in terms of the reaction shots, right? I mean Jennifer Lawrence I thought was was a uh, a perfectly believable state of nausea when she witnessed her main street being you know decimated. Yes. And I also liked Gail's response. You know I liked his little speech. I thought it was useful. I also felt like this was a great example of a production team that fell in love with their babies. And you got to cut your babies. Like at mm-hmm. some point you have to cut this stuff that ends up being just filler i i couldn't agree more or combine them or combine them somehow find a way to streamline this 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 production it was it was just too heavy andy what were you gonna say well i was gonna say and another scene that really bugged me because it's just such a like a, a i mean it really was just a stereotypical scene that you always end up having and in a movie that was over long and you know we've already talked about just you know the unnecess- unnecessary nature of splitting it this is a scene that they could have cut or found a way to do something else more interesting that hasn't been done before but it's the scene when the the district 13 is being bombed and everybody runs down to the bunker and then all of a sudden she's like where's where's primrose where's primrose her little sister and of course she's the one person oh i had to run out to get my cat and so Katniss has to run out and try to find her and get her just in time as the door is shut and everything. And it's just like, that was such. I've seen that scene a million times where the protagonist has to run out to save that one last person who had to go get that one thing that they can't leave behind. Andy, and, I laughed out loud because of you during that scene because she was actually <laughs> saving a cat. Right. <laughs> and it's important that we like Prim. That's right. I, I'm glad. Later that on. That. Uh, yeah. Oh, you haven't read the books, right, Andy? Uh, no, I haven't read the books. But oh, okay, then know. I won't say anything more. But the whole idea was just like, I mean, it, it, I didn't need to see that scene. It was so unnecessary. It was another scene that they could have cut. And 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 then also, Gail was in it awkwardly as a shadow running behind Prim. And it's like, why? You know, I didn't even know that Gail was out there. Nor you know, did anybody seen- else, apparently. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it's like there's a shadow running behind Prim. Who could it be? Oh, it's Gail. Hey, he's out here, too. <laughs> Did nobody? Who else could be out here? Have we really checked our list twice? Uh, who's so many this, cats? Who's doing this 10-second countdown? Hundreds of cats just desperately <laughs> trying to get somewhere. Well, but I mean, I, while I don't think it was well done, um, Andy, can I ask you, because you haven't read the books, can you not listen for a quick second? <laughs> this seems this seems really weird, but this is something that for the people that have read the books, I think there's a reason why that scene was included. 
Okay. okay. Is this just too weird? No, it's it's going to be weird because Andy's going to be trying to watch your lips. And since right, we're so, only audio, he'll be watching right. a long time. So, Andy, don't listen for a second. Type, we'll type you when it's time to watch it, listen again. Is that okay? Sure. Okay, Tommy, are you getting just... into spoilers for part two? Is that what you're doing? Yeah. Should I not? No, do it. I dare you. I triple dog dare uh, you. Because I've read the book. I know where I know where you're going. But go ahead. I, well, it... Actually, it's a it's a huge point of contention in our household as well. But so go ahead. And I and I'm going to listen anyway because I'll just listen to the show later to hear what you say. So. <laughs> oh yeah, good point. <laughs> right. He has no soul. He's dead inside. It's not going to affect him. Right. Wait a minute. We're not live. <laughs> I have my parents listening. <laughs> well, I guess I cynically i don't know if the word is cynically but i understand why that exists because we maybe i won't say anything too much but i'll say that we need prim much more than in the beginning to be an important character later on we need to feel for her and if it takes such a dumb cash grab as going and literally saving a cat we need to care for her for what's coming you didn't care for her enough without the stupid cat I think, again, I said that as as poorly as it was done, I understand why it was there. Andy was sort of positing that could just be completely cut. I understand why it existed. Well, I, I okay, I, I hear you, and I raise you the fact that the entire franchise, the entire franchise of the Hunger Games is built on a foundation of love for Prim. Yeah. Because she volunteered? Because she volunteered to save her sister in the first place. Yeah. Like, we love Prim because we have two, now two and a half movies at that point that have told us how important Prim is. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, this. Yeah, I don't, know I, I don't know if I completely agree with that. I think we believe that Katniss loves Prim, but Prim has been almost nothing but a please don't take me, I'm young crier before this. This, they gave her a bunch of like scenes crawling into bed with Katniss and exchanging things like this is the first time that i think prim actually really became a character versus just a symbol okay i guess i guess i'm saying had let's just say gail had gone to get the cat prim's cat alone and prim was safe would that would that have changed your opinion of of prim of the importance of prim or your emotional connection to prim i guess i don't know why i'm arguing this because i don't think it was well done i I guess (laughs) i guess i'm being like a devil's advocate as i understand i understand the choice yeah but i'm also saying that it was poorly done so maybe i'll just Back off. Well, and I don't mean to be poking because I, you know, I don't mean to no, be poking I, at your little balloon. Because I like here. your question. If I was answering for the writers, I would maybe answer different. But for me as a person, no, I didn't care for that scene. Yeah. Well, no, and that's something I, I think that's very important. That um, if Prim is such an important character later in the story, um, find a different way to make us feel more for her. Because that scene, because it's actually somebody... annoying that she runs away. Yeah, yes. it's annoying. <laughs> I forgot, about, I forgot how annoyed I was. I'm she like, is the kid who's in trouble for saving the stupid cat. Like, she's right. the... Because yeah. it's not even a nice cat. I mean, yeah, you know, it's cat, always Katniss hates the cat. It's like, who likes this cat? Oh, Prim does. She's the one who yeah. likes this dumb cat. But also, Andy, you don't know this, but the cat is incredibly important. <laughs> <laughs> so really, it was the cat saving Prim. You just burned my brain a little bit. (laughs) We'll see in a year, won't we, Andy? Uh, That's that's where we have to look at adaptation and where where you have this sort of slavish loyalty to the source material versus what works best in the film and how to balance that. And Because the fans are going to look for certain things, but you also have to look what serves the story well. And I think that's 
sometimes a difficult choice to make. And, and, and I agree. It was a scene that I was like, it's creating a false sense of suspense. Like, oh, are they going to make it back? I'm like, of really? Course because it's like it with two, one in, you know, it's like, let's count it down to that. Cl- like, does it need to be that close? Why do we have to do this? Because, you know, it's, it's creating, to me, it's creating artificial suspense and that's it, unneeded and unnecessary. And I think, you know, doesn't do much for the story or character or anything, but I'd have to look back at the book. It's probably in there because it's in the book and they felt like they needed to have that moment. Oh, I wonder. That's interesting. Yeah, I have no idea. I don't know remembrance of that in the book. I don't yeah, remember I, most I, of this. I, I, or they felt that the story needed some, some, some action, they, some suspense to, to carry it along to the next segment of the film. You know, we need, we need something up. Like. Yeah, you know, that's what, yeah, that's what it and, felt like. Let's throw in yeah. some action here, and oh, we got to put someone in danger to right. make our audience care about this. Yeah, right. But you know, yeah. this was you know this this was a film that didn't take any risks in that regard, and I can't help but think back to to a film like Serenity. You know, just when you think that you know all of the characters on the crew are invincible uh wash gets us gets a uh, tree through his chest and and so you know i keep thinking yeah. like that was a shocking like earth-shattering oh, yeah. moment in film for me and uh i you know i i couldn't help walking out of this movie and think gosh you know what if uh um you know if this had been <laughs> if this had been serenity uh if this had been a joss whedon thing i think i actually think prim would have gotten crushed in the giant doors well, and right, you know else? what I'm saying, but I, and I'm, yeah. I say that sarcastically, but a little bit not like maybe not prim, but just the just take like this. This was so stinking pre- predictable. Like yeah. I, in an area Very where they formulaic. just had such a rich tapestry to be able to do something, you know, sort of interesting. Well, and this is a series that is built on. Uh, moments of powerful deaths. And I mean, it's a horrible thing to say, yes. but I mean, really, every movie has all these people that she connects with and then she has to fight and kill. That's kind of what the whole premise of the the show or the, the previous two movies were based on, this whole show that everybody is watching of the Hunger Games. Let's watch and, as people kill each other and see which district comes out on top. It's That's kind of the premise of this. And she gets attached to these people and then they die. And and, and we see a lot of that. And, and nobody, I mean, it's awful to say, but nobody dies in this. There's like no real threat of that, uh, of, of things being taken away from her. And things, I, I mean, they actually rescue all of these people. And I guess you you could say PETA is the one who is affected, and it's not a death, but it's the fact that he's been brainwashed to destroy her, really, is is kind of that switch that we have in this film. But even that didn't have as much strength to, for me, because I kept asking, well, why is he the only one they brainwashed? They brought all these other people back, but none of them are brainwashed to kill Katniss or, or uh, Haymitch or or Finnick or any of these other people. And, it, you know, it, I don't know. It, 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 it just struck me as weird that he was the only one that they did this to. And I don't know. There wasn't as much the, power. In that, to oh, me, part- that's the best way to, to harm Katniss. What does she love the most and turn it against her? Right. But I mean, why didn't they do that with all of them? I mean, it seems she like she doesn't care about all of them. Everything she's done is because of PETA. It's, it's always it, been about him. You know, but from, it's a lame you know, tactic. Why would President Snow say, oh, but let's only brainwash one of them to kill Katniss? You know, it's like, uh, it's great that he does that <laughs> to get back at yeah. Katniss because Katniss loves PETA so much. But if he's trying to get rid of Katniss, why doesn't he brainwash all of them to kill her? Because of his arrogance that he's he's got control and he'll take care of this. But right now it's a personal thing. And I think that's what they try to take it to is that, you know, again, that's why we have, you know, this, you know, let's create drama over Skype is it's, it's really about Katniss versus snow and how they can 
can hurt or harm or undermine each other. And it's, a, it's sort of like a game of chess that's trying to play out between them of, you know, even going back to Catching Fire of, he says, I need you to get people to believe that you love PETA. We all know that you don't, but you need to play this role. And it's, it's this, this manipulation maneuvering that they're, that they're going back and forth with. And that's, you know, to me, I was fine with, with that. What's interesting is the way the film played that part when the uh, sort of the head of security smacks PETA over the head and it goes mm. to black. People behind me were like, oh, that's the end. And I thought that would have been an interesting way to end the film. Yeah, yeah. I actually had that feeling too. I thought too. so too. I was like, wow, was like, cool. Wow, that, yes, that's the, that's that. like the first and only risk they take in this film. And here we go. Yes. It's right at the end. Thank goodness they give me something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know. Andy, I mean, to you, can I ask a follow-up question to what you were saying? Sure. Because uh, it, makes, it makes a lot of sense, and that actually resonated with me, but I'm going to use the word resonate again. Um, the idea of no one dies in this film, one of the other things that Katniss is going through is that whether, you know, that it was built on the fact that she's going into an arena killing people that she gets attached to. The other big thing is that people that get attached to her are killed. That just being around right. Katniss becomes horrible. And so you said that no one dies. Obviously, well, no one above the line, but that entire right, hospital, right, right. for instance. is sure. that Did that resonate with you at all? It, no, it didn't. And again, maybe it was just because I was focused on the, 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 the way that the scene was structured and the fact that I was like, why, are, why is no one else helping Katniss and Gale while they go destroy these, these ships? Why are they the only two who step up to do anything? And, well, they got separated by wreckage. Well, they did, but we don't, you know, they could have given us, you know, cut to some other people doing things. I mean, there's things that they could have done to to make it feel like more people are doing stuff. And and we do see a couple other, you know, people trying to fight these things and stuff, but none of the core people there are doing anything. And and I don't know. And I just felt like the hospital scene, like, didn't, I, I couldn't connect with anybody in the hospital. You know, it's, if we had seen somebody that she knew from the first movie or the second movie that yep. was in her an town, person, yeah, not just yeah a, that would have helped. And so that I holding up their fingers. Fair enough. Yeah. Right. I mean, sense. I just had no connection to those people. And so it, it's wrong to say nobody else dies because obviously a lot of people die. But yeah, it's, it's, it's people that we're connected to. Because mm-hmm. remember the like the, the emotional backbone of the second film was, was, uh, was between, uh, Katniss and Rue, right? That was a very special relationship, mm-hmm. right? And there was there was nothing like that. There was no individual connection that we get with Katniss in this film that allowed us to really um, feel that growing strength uh, that that she or that motivation for that growing strength in in her. It was just like assumed always there or not, but it, it, you know it was just unclear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Um. Danny Strong and Who's Peter that? Craig. Uh, Peter Craig is uh, he wrote the um, he he wrote the town Ooh. Uh, with Ben Affleck, and uh, he wrote and this is his uh, his second feature. It looks like he's already obviously on deck for the for part two uh, and uh, Top Gun two and Bad Boys three which I know you all are looking forward to. So <laughs> are those all real things? Yeah, those are all real things. Um, <laughs> Danny, oh, Danny Strong uh, has a, a much sort of broader career as an actor than he does as a writer. He's done a lot of TV work. He was in Buffy the Vampire Slayer and yep. 
uh, and um, you know a number of other films. Uh, you know Lee Daniels, The Butler, Sea Biscuit. Uh, he has, um, in terms of his writing credits, uh, he wrote Lee Daniels, The Butler. He wrote um, um, Hunger Games Part One, Part Two, uh, a couple uh, episode of Empire, and the announced uh, screenplay for The Lost Symbol, Dan Brown book. Uh, adaptation so that should be that should be interesting but uh in terms of how the script was structured to our uh, resident uh experts what do you guys uh, you know we've already talked about the padding issues but in in terms of what the what what these guys delivered as screenwriters uh, any additional comment for if we're taking the idea that they (laughs) i love the idea that they had a tight script and then they were like nope make it two that's my fantasy there weren't while I had a couple padding problems, which I did talk about, Steve, um, in your absence, um, for the most part, there was enough, the performances were great, and there was enough emotion and slow reason for a lot of the scenes that there wasn't tons that I would take out. I think that maybe given a fairly unforgiving task, they did a really good job, or potentially I can't tell the difference between script and performances for this film. Well, now, now Tom, I think you, maybe it was Pete, I think, do we blame that splitting of them into two on the writers, or is that something that was mandated by the studio? Of, oh, it would never hey, you, be because of the writers. Yeah, I, exactly. Yeah. I think it was, here's this book, this is going to be two films, you figure out how to make this two complete films. And to me, that was you know my biggest question walking into this is, when you split a book that has, you know, although this does have sort of two parts to it, uh, how do you balance that? How do you create sort of a self-contained story that has a beginning, middle, and end that feels as a complete arc that you walk away from saying, okay, I can't wait to, to see you know, part two, but this felt like a complete you know, story in itself. And how did they do that? And I think you know, they, they, managed, they managed it sufficiently. You know, I, I, I don't I think there was anything great or tremendous, but I think given that challenge, you know, I was entertained you know, I, I didn't find myself looking at my watch at any point saying, come on, get on with it, whatever. I, I felt, you know, drawn through the story that there was enough balance. You know, as we pointed out, you know, the scene with the cat and the stairs, you know, yes, we can feel the sort of the, the sort of the behind the scenes manipulation going on. But other than that, I think for a lot, you know, experienced film viewers like ourselves are going to see that coming. For a lot of these kids that have read the books that are going to see this that don't have that tremendous back catalog of, catalog of films to see – this might be the first time they've seen something like that. It's going to be okay for them. And I think that's it served its purpose, and the, the, the writing did, served its purpose. I think that's very generous of you. It's for the kids. Hey, well, no, you know but what? Also, the, I always say, look at what the film the- is trying to accomplish and judge it on its merits. And it's like, okay, adapt a book, tell the story well. And I think it did that sufficiently okay then i follow up questions thing real though real quick though Mm -hmm. because i think it's right in line is again i said in my opinion the third book was garbage yes this movie was not garbage for me yeah so i think they did it more than sufficiently i think they did it admirably okay so follow-up question then francis lawrence the director he uh you know i don't think we've talked about anything else he has done uh um, catching um, fire 
But uh, other, and that's what I was going to say. Other than Catching Fire, but you know, he did uh, uh, Water he do for the Elements. Movie? He, Constantine, I Constantine, am I am Legend, Elements. right? So he's uh, he's had some other films, uh, obviously in his credit. But we've talked about uh, Catching Fire. This movie, seeing what he did here with Mockingjay, really made me want to go watch Catching Fire again because I thought there were so many great transitions and great elements and great just sort of um, visual. Uh, you know, particularly the the second half of the sequence that was like this rock star IMAX, you know, film. You know, the second hour of Catching Fire was just gorgeous. Um, and in contrast, I feel like this was like a, to me this was a, a a radically different experience. It was very very compressed, constrained, claustrophobic, um, and and obviously uh, so much of this for me goes into production design. Just the lack of color, um, you know. I I think it, it it felt like it was trying to make a statement that just didn't land. It just didn't land. It came off as just sort of bland visually. Uh, and and again, it, I I say this in in contrast to Catching Fire, and I have a real difficulty separating the experience. Is there anything to be said? I guess it's probably an incredibly obvious point, but so much of Catching Fire either takes place in the opulent capital or the forest, and this takes place in bunkers and ruin. Right, and that's why I say, like, I, you know, I agree with you, Tom, that so much of this may be just the visual adaptation of nastiness, you know, sure. uh, that the book puts you in this place. But I still feel like there was there was nothing really interesting done uh, with it. A, a few of the, uh, there were a few segments that I thought were, were actually of, of note. The, uh, what was it, Sector 7, the Tree Huggers? Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was a that was a fun, albeit brief sequence, and the um, the disaster at the dam. Yep, uh, I thought was a really interesting. Uh, you know, it was a fun sort of visual break in. Well, I thought the best visual break was, I mean, actually when they went and sat by the lake and the mocking jays were all flying around. Like that was actually one moment that I I actually did kind of like. Yeah, we did. That was a you know you get a splash of of vibrance. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I think the other piece that you know they did it, you know, in terms of adapting things and bringing some familiar characters is to really expand the role of, of Effie Trinkin to get more of Elizabeth Banks, uh, that character, because in the book I think it's depend dependent a lot more of the sort of the they're not nameless they do have names but sort of those generic helpers that we saw in the first two films that are her hair and makeup and mm-hmm. and costume crew of rolling that all into to the you know function of Effie Trinket and what purpose she serves in the story of combining that to bring that character to make that choice and adapting that was I think a wise choice because it, it kept us focused it kept it brought a familiar character and another actress that can really bring something to that role I appreciated that in terms of looking at how to adapt these pieces and find those threads they're going to help carry us through but I, I think you know as, as Tom said they're really sort of hamstrung by the source material of you can't stray too far from it. You can't reinvent too much. You've got to maintain some certain loyalty to it. And the first half just doesn't give them a lot. I'm really looking forward to the second half, particularly because I think we're going to see more of what we saw in Catching Fire in the second half. And I had just watched Catching Fire probably about a month ago, uh, not having seen it for a while. And again, still just awestruck by that film of how it just pulls everything together. And yes, this is sort of the lull before the big storm breaks loose at the end. So I am looking forward to next November. 
It just makes me wonder, though, if this is, if if the book is bad, as Tom says, is the worst of the series, and if it's got this first half lull. I, it just it it just makes me ask again. What is the logical reason that the studio said let's split it into two movies? And because uh, I just don't feel like making a movie about the lull before the storm seems like a smart move. I mean, you know, looking at the box office numbers, I mean, it's having yeah. a heck of a weekend. Yeah. Uh, you know, but it's, it's uh, still twenty percent shy of the franchise open. Right, because you exactly. know what? Otherwise, we'd be all be complaining. Wow, the first half of this film seemed really rushed. Like they pushed through all this stuff to get to the big action sequence, and we just didn't get enough time with these characters to understand what their motives were for this big part that happens now. I honestly it's, it's, don't. That's a straw man. I don't think we could make, Steve. I really don't because I, there is so much in here that is just redundant, just oh, emotionally yeah. redundant. We could we get it, but you guys, I, the rubble. <laughs> 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 and I'm <laughs> so much rubble. Uh, <laughs> any any uh, other uh, any other uh, interesting cast or crew that you would like to uh, that that you've really been hanging on to you haven't mentioned so far? Was that song in the book? <laughs> I, I think it was. I think that the, the uh, "Let's Meet You at the Hanging Tree." <laughs> yeah. yeah, as I recall, that's that is from the book. Okay, so. I liked it. Yes, I did too. I was. I agree, Andy. That was a nice moment. Yeah. There. Jenna Malone was great in it. For the five seconds she was there. <laughs> <laughs> she kind of was, though. She really summed up that her Jenna Maloneness and just like, I'm going to rip these like EKG meters off my, my forehead with impunity and look at me. But you know what? Her performance really nailed exactly my feeling about the film. The whole film should have been like that. Yeah. I wonder if she got paid full rate for this film, like she'll get paid for the next one, or if it was just kind of a lump sum for both films, because... <laughs> Boy, I want a moment like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's. Uh, let's say we uh, we give our uh, final little assessment and then uh, rank this puppy, huh? Mm-hmm. All right, uh, Steve. Final assessment. I. I'll stick with three words. I enjoyed it. Oh. oh. You bookended it. I love it, Tommy. Uh, again, the performances brought me through. Uh, the film was treading water, but I was actually not bored, and I actually thought that I enjoyed a lot of it. I mean, I did enjoy a lot of it. <laughs> I think I enjoyed it. I was it, told I, I, I enjoyed a lot of it. <laughs> yeah. Andrew? Yeah, yeah, I didn't enjoy it at all. Uh, there was nothing enjoyable for me, I, except maybe the scene with the Mockingjays. That might be the one scene. And, uh, you know, just as a, a side note, I thought the tree people was completely silly. The fact that they ran up the trees like Edward from Twilight was was completely nonsense. <laughs> Spider monkey. When there's people shooting at them with guns, it's like, how are these people with weapons not hitting these guys? Well, these guys they're stormtroopers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they are stormtroopers. It didn't seem like that great of a plan, though. No, no, it didn't. It seemed like a terrible plan. I, and that just struck me like the whole film. It's like the whole thing was a terrible plan. Uh, splitting it, the book into two pieces, it just made this just an unbearable experience for me. It's as bad of a plan as setting a, a detonation in a in a dam and only giving it like a ten second timer right. that you run out, having yeah, it destroy the bridge that you're way. on. <laughs> that was a disaster. <laughs> that Wait, yeah, think seconds. about the plan. I said Thirty minutes. Oh. It, it's it's just the plan that you know we this is that was a sign of sacrifice, right? We're going to send our people to the dam. Well, how many people? Well, go ahead and send all of them. 
Uh, send all the people to blow up the dam and just, you know, say thank you before you yeah. tell them to go. I uh, I liked this film uh, only moderately before we started talking about the uh, uh, talking about it. And now, mostly thanks to Andy, I like it less. Oh, so I know yes. I, this one has deteriorated over over the last hour um, for me. And, and I just can't help but. Uh, come back to the 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 shamelessness of splitting it up that is a that was just to me a completely useless choice and i'm very frustrated by that so uh i think we need to head to the flick chart Katniss thinks there's hell to pay. The districts are in such dismay. Peter seems to be all gray. There's no more hunger games to play. Time for flick chart. <laughs> haunting, right? Oh my gosh. That should have been in the movie. That's so been. haunting. Okay. Time for flick chart. <laughs> <laughs> Head over to flickchart.com slash TNR film board and you can catch up with all the films that we have ranked as a gang of thugs right here on this very show. And let's see if let's see if Mocking J Part One breaks the top uh seventeen. <laughs> seventeen out of twenty seven. We'll see. <laughs> Not all if right. Andy has anything Not to say about I it. Is. I control the button. <laughs> all right, the Hunger Games, Mocking J Part One, or the Born Legacy. Born Legacy. Which Born one was Legacy. the Born Legacy? The third one? That's the fourth one. Doesn't matter. Oh, the one with <laughs> Jeremy Renner? Right. Yes. I don't remember any of it. Probably the Born Legacy. <laughs> yeah, I'd say Born Legacy. All right. Uh, Mocking Jay or the Equalizer? Abstain? I'd say the Equalizer. I'm going to say Mocking Jay. I'm going to say the Equalizer. Yes, yeah, Steve. Wow, and you guys hated <laughs> the Equalizer. Wow. Have you heard the last can... hour of this show? I'm going to watch it. All right. Mockingjay or Now You See Me. <laughs> wow. It went straight to the bottom, didn't it? Okay. Uh, I'm going to say Mockingjay on this Mockingjay. one. Mockingjay. I think I'm going to say Now You See Me. I am too. There's just something so adorable about that movie. I like watching. What's her name? Is it Amy Adams? No, it's. No. Uh, what's her name? Amy Ryan? No, it's uh, Isla Fisher. Oh, I'm going to stop talking then. I wasn't even close. <laughs> I hate that movie now. <laughs> yeah. Amy Brenneman? All right, go ahead. <laughs> Amy Brenneman? Yeah. That's... Uh, all right, so it's two for two. So are we going to do a rock, paper, scissors? Yes. Are you ready? Right, ready? One, One, two, two three, scissors. Damn. Ooh, all right. I'm like three for three on you now. I know. You keep skunking me on that thing. All right, Mockingjay or the Wolverine? Mockingjay. Yeah, I would say Mockingjay here, too. Yep. Yeah, Mockingjay. Yep. I, don't, well, I don't know, but Wolverine has that, you know. Train scene. Train scene. One, I would say sequences. Wolverine. Two I'm going back to and then two sequences versus zero sequences. Oh, <laughs> oh I I oh. once again agree with Andy on this one. I'm going to go to Wolverine. Ah, what yeah. is this yeah. nonsense wishy-washiness? No. <laughs> More like it's okay, because Pete's I, on the street. He's remember, gonna beat Andy. I also liked... I also very much liked the arrow scene that nobody else seemed to like, but that's oh, like that's, three sequences that's, that's for me. The two, wait, there's only two. It's the train scene and the arrow scene. Oh, well, exactly. As I said, the two scenes. Yeah. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. There was something in the beginning that I liked. I can't remember what it was. Yeah, yeah there was, was cool stuff in the beginning, oh. and then it just deep. No, you're thinking, oh, of, no. You're thinking the, of the trailers. 
I also like the magic bed. The magic, the magic bed. bed. The guy, the the, the uh, Asian benefactor, had the magic bed with that was made of like small oh, silver, that, long oh, silver geez. stakes. That, I like, like that too. You put your hands on. Yeah, needle. Right, I like that. So Andy and I agree. Who's going to do uh, rock paper scissors for the opposing team, opposing council? Who's on the opposing council? Steve and I. Yeah. Yeah. Steve, please do the do me the honor. Okay, I will. Right, Pete, it's you and Steve. All right. Are you ready, right. Steve? Yeah. Oh, there's Steve. All right, here we go. Steve, I need this. Right. <laughs> I know. Got <I> <laughs> it, Tom. All right. One. You have to say it with me. Okay. All right, ready? Yeah. One. One. Two. two three. Three. Paper. Rock. Oh, I love oh. it. Oh. Rock. Who, who won? Paper I said paper. Rock. Paper covers rock. Oh, that's rock. right. That's right. Okay. Oh. Well. Steve, why didn't you say revolver? <laughs> everybody knows you pick rock. I don't I know. know. All right, Four Mocking Park. Jay or Monuments Men? I will say Mocking Jay here. Mocking Jay. Mocking Jay. <sighs> Sorry, Jungle. All right. There you go. 24 out of 28. Did not yeah. break the, the illustrious top 17. Oh, shots fired. <laughs> I don't know what that means. We did it. Hey, well done, uh, gentlemen. This is a, a good conversation about a mediocre film at best, but I think, I think the conversation is uh, better than the film. Here, hear that. Bold words. Uh, do we have one picked for next week? Do we tell? It's already out there, right, Andy? For next for month. Next for month? next month? Yeah, we, we can oh, tell. Yeah, it's it's going to be no surprise because it's Tom's, Tom's favorite. favorite film. Wait, do we, what is it? The Hobbit. Oh, no! Battle Come of the on. Five Armies. Ah! <laughs> I saw the trailer for it in front of this movie and I was like, Come on! <laughs> There's so many people with beards yelling things that I don't understand. Fine, I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we can get a little Kickstarter fund to it. fund your uh, ticket price there for you, Tom, to see it in you know 3D, 48 frames per second, oh, and it's yes. awesomeness. I think it's 96 <laughs> frames per second this time, though. It's yes. 96 oh, frames, and there are a thousand hands that come out of the seat <laughs> and like poke you to give you the environmental feel of this. It's feel around. I want to watch it while precariously like on this really small walkway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, that's, exactly. that's perfect. <laughs> Ugh. Uh, so this many is, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I just got very excited when I and I thought of you when it that said you, you know when I read the article it said now now with forty five minutes of extra battle footage at the end of the film oh I thought this God. is great creatures throwing things at other creatures this is right up Tom's alley oh. it's going to be a real treat no, no, uh, no. so that's coming up opening weekend of uh, the Hobbit so look out for that the thugs will be back together and. Uh, there we go. And and surprisingly, I mean, for, for people who complain, and I say that mostly uh, for Tom's sake, the, the Hobbit films have done reasonably well on our stack ranking, um, sitting at, you know, number 12 and 13. Uh, I'll, yeah. see, what I, I'll so. see what I can do about that. <laughs> <laughs> Steve Sarmento, thank you so much for being here, my friend. All right. May the odds be in your favor. And Tom, may the odds be in your favor. Always a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Andy. As usual, more Always Andy fun. and Pete. <laughs> <laughs> more of us. Good this is good God. fun, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you all for listening, and uh, we'll catch you next month as the film board returns.
Here on the film board, we have covered quite a variety of great page-to-screen adaptations over the years, from superheroes like Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises, based on stories like Nightfall and The Dark Knight Returns, to horror and sci-fi like Max Brooks's World War Z and Hiroshi Sakazuraka's All You Need Is Kill, which became one of our favorites, Edge of Tomorrow, with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. And who could forget Andy Weir's stranded astronaut adventure, The Martian, or Dave Eggers' tech thriller, The Circle? Supposedly so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It, biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man, and sweeping sagas like Denis Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's Dune. And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grant's nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book, and it's fantastic. It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to thenextreel.com slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories. And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu. That's right. TheNextReel.com slash originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. Every purchase you make supports the film board and The Next Reel's family of shows. So what are you waiting for? Head to TheNextReel.com slash originals and get your next read today. Mm-hmm.